Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison as we continue to proclaim God's truth throughout all the world. We welcome you here today. We pour out and ask God to pour out a special blessing upon you that this day you will go forward from this video having heard God's truth. I pray that you will feel the Holy Spirit manifest to you the power and the witness of the Holy Ghost as he will speak to your hearts that the things that we discuss today in the scriptures are true. They are the word of the Lord, the will of the Lord, and they are scripture and the power of God unto salvation. We welcome you to here today. We've got a great lesson prepared once again, and we look at the prophets. This week, we're looking at Jonah, that mighty prophet of God, and Micah. Once again, we see how uh, the, uh, the apostasy and restoration are not just taught everywhere in the New Testament, but we've been seeing in the last several lessons here in the Old Testament, the apostasy, restoration, boldly proclaimed, clearly taught by these mighty prophets of God and of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. We testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He is our Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Savior, our all. Let's come and sit at his feet as he teaches us today through his Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Ghost, God's truth. Okay, well, let's look today, and we're going to begin in Jonah. What a what a fun book of scripture Jonah is. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people learning biblical Hebrew in the at the university level. Uh, a lot of their uh, curriculum, they start off uh, learning to translate the book of Jonah, uh, uh, or some will choose the book of Ruth. But uh, so these are fun ones. They're short uh, books, but a lot of good stuff here. And Jonah. So in uh, Jonah, we begin verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Uh, well, can I choose something else to do, God? <laughs> That's the last thing Jonah wants to do, right? Assyria, right? Nineveh is the, is the city of uh, Assyria, right? Uh, the Assyrians are a major threat to Israel at this point in time. Their prophets have been testifying that the people don't repent. These same Assyrians are going to come to Israel and destroy them, right? So Jonah's thinking, I want Assyria to be destroyed, God. The furthest thing from my mind would go to be preach repentance to them. What if they repent? We know you, God. You're a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. You'll forgive them. And there'll still be a threat that they could come knock us out, right? So the last, the last thing Jonah wants to hear, go preach to your enemies uh, that are threatening your uh, existence, right? So what does uh, Jonah do? Well, he gets in a boat, goes down to Joppa, gets in a boat, and tries to go off to Tarshish, which is in southern Spain, completely opposite the direction that he should be going over to uh, Nineveh, right? And so as he's in this boat and the uh, a strong tempest, strong winds take place, and they think they're going to die. And, and it's uh, great here in uh, in verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, right? These are the people of different nations. They're not Jewish. Uh, uh, they're worshiping false gods, so they're praying to their false god uh, for deliverance. Uh, but Jonah was down sleeping. And uh, in verse 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, what are you doing, old sleeper? 
Uh, arise, wake up, maybe call upon your God. We're praying to all the gods we know. <laughs> we, we, we fear we're going to die here. We're praying to every God we can think of. How about you pray to your own God? Maybe he can save us. And it's interesting how God's preparing them to be able to receive the true God, right? To be able to receive him, right? So it's very interesting. And so, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, he you know, gets up here and they uh, say, you know, well, let's cast lots and find out uh, whose God is mad at us and, and which of us is to blame for that particular God's anger. So they cast lots and it falls upon uh, Jonah, right? So they start asking Jonah, where did you come from? Oh, you're from Israel. Oh, you worship Yahweh, Jehovah, Yahweh, the same God who parted the Red Sea and led the Israelites through on dry ground that then brought the seas back down, crushed and destroyed all the Egyptians. So they get scared, right? There's a, this powerful God, uh, you know, is, is, is angry at Jonah. So they're worried they're going to all die here. And uh, so then he says here, uh, in verse 14, wherefore they cried out unto Yahweh, right? So now they start to worship the God of Jonah, the conversion process there, right? They're, they're, hopefully it was a lasting conversion process and not just a temporary one as they thought they were going to die. But they're all praying now to, to Yahweh, to Jehovah. We beseech thee, O Yahweh, we beseech thee, let us not perish because of this man. And don't lay upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, thou, O Yahweh, has done it as it pleased you. So they took up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased to raging right away. The, the winds calmed down. The sea stopped, uh, you know, the, the big waves, everything as they threw Jonah in there, right? And in uh, 16, then the man feared Yahweh. They came to know that their God couldn't deliver him from this. Yahweh did deliver them. Yahweh, Jehovah is the true God. So we got a conversion process here. They're forsaking their gods, coming unto the true God of, of you know, of, of the uh, of the world, the true God of the Bible, right? So, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Here, Jonah thought he was fleeing away from Nineveh. God still used him in his, in his uh, absence, uh, in his absence, in his, uh, um, dereliction of duty as, as he uh, departs from the you know what he should be doing. God still uses Jonah here to convert these uh, mariners, right? So it's kind of an amazing story here. So then, what happens in seventeen? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this is going to be symbolic of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus Christ will be in the belly of the earth for three days, so was Jonah in this in the belly of this big fish. <laughs> this big fish, as it says here in the book of Jonah. Now, of course, with our more scientific understandings nowadays, we don't have to only take the possibility of a big fish here, right? A lot of people kind of laughed at Joan over the years and thought that, you know, maybe that sounds a little silly, a little bit ridiculous. Well, now we know, you know, from even government reports now coming forward from many nations of the earth and, uh, you know, these uh, USOs, right? So everybody's heard of UFOs, but we have these unidentified uh, submerged objects, right? And they, a lot of witnesses have seen these um, uh, objects uh, 
you know, go up into the sky, come down crashing into the water, submerging underneath, flying all around. So, again, we've looked at this in several contexts of the uh, of the UFOs in the Bible, as we've come across those several, several times in a lot of our lessons this year. So we get it here again, possibility here that maybe, maybe this isn't a big fish, so, you know, it's not ridiculous. Bible's still true. <laughs> Bible's true. God's, you know, is still real and, and all these things, right? They're calling a big fish. They don't know how to describe it, right? But it, it very well could have been. And I personally don't have an opinion on it, whether it's a big fish or a, some sort of submerged object. I, I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, but, uh, you know, for those of you who laugh at the big fish, we now have a lot of eyewitness reports, government reports of objects that can go in and out of water, you know, and, and go underneath water. So it may have been swallowed by some sort of USO, so an unidentified submerged object for three days and then came out. Perhaps that's how he gets over to Nineveh. It doesn't tell us how he how he finally gets over to Nineveh after he comes out of the, uh, you know, out of this whatever it was, right? So, you know, we don't know if he was spit up on the, you know, ground taken over, you know, however it happened, right? We're, we're not told how it happened, but, you know, it may have been, it wasn't really a big fish, right? Uh, it may have been some sort of other, uh, like a UFO type of object that we're seeing flying through as we've seen in many lessons this year, right? So it could be this unidentified submerged object. So, you know, but, they're, they again, just like when they're describing the UFOs, they have to say, "Well, it looked like a cloud, right?" But we know obviously a real cloud didn't come transport, you know, uh, Jesus and take him away. Right? <laughs> mean, we know that uh, Elijah didn't just get in the chariot of fire and you know, and they just they had a flying horse with <laughs> a chariot flying through the air from which he turns around and throws his cloak down to Elijah, right? These prophets are using the best language they have with a very limited vocabulary to describe these things. So whoever's writing Jonah, whether it's Jonah or some other biblical writer, they're trying to say, well, he was swallowed by like this big fish, but they don't know how to say USO or unidentified submerged object. They don't have that vocabulary to describe, uh, you know, submarine, uh, you know, or any other kind of uh, object like that so they have to just say well it was like it was like a big fish right it was a big object and it swallowed up jonah right but uh so we'll proceed here so it's not funny right <laughs> it's not a funny ridiculous story oh <laughs> look at the bible the bible says that the jonah was swallowed by a big fish oh that's just ridiculous therefore we're just gonna take the entire bible and just throw it out the window because it's just garbage because it talks about this big fish it may not have to take these things 100% literal. <laughs> we, we now know with our scientific understanding today, there's a lot more things going on in this world. And just because somebody, some ancient person who didn't even go, who didn't even go to high school or college or elementary school in modern day school, didn't even go to elementary school, they're doing the best they can based on their limited education and their limited vocabulary to describe this. Jonah literally was swallowed by something. He went inside of some sort of object, some sort of animal, fish, whatever you want to call it. He was swallowed up for three days, right? A representation of the death, 
burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, just as Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days. Now, of course, the earth doesn't have a belly, right? So it can't have, <laughs> you got to be careful with some of this language. You, know, you can't take it literal. Oh, he's in the belly of the earth. Therefore, that's silly too, right? So, you know, he was buried in the, he was, wasn't even buried, right? I mean, Jesus wasn't even buried. So buried in the in the belly of the earth, he wasn't even buried in the belly of the earth, right? He was laid in the tomb for, you know, for three days and then rose from the dead from the tomb, never even buried it. So, you know, you got to be careful with some of this language, right? So, okay. So now Jonah's in whatever this thing is, this unidentified submerged object, this big fish, big whale, whatever, whatever you want it to be. Jonah prays unto the Lord, his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. It would have been terrifying if it were not a fish, right? If it were some sort of unidentified submarine or, uh, you know, uh, some sort of uh, other identified, uh, you know, unidentified submerged object. There's Jonah, he's just on a boat where they're paddling, you know, they're paddling here in the end of chapter one, right? Suddenly he's swallowed by some advanced, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sea craft right that would be terrifying for him right so he thinks he's in hell right this would be a horrible uh, experience right and uh, out of the belly of hell cried i and thou heardest my voice for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the season of floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves paused over me and unfortunately that's how god has to get a lot of our attentions uh, a lot of people until they're swallowed up in the belly of a well you know, they, they don't want to repent. They don't want to come unto the Lord. So he has to bring afflictions and destructions and all kinds of misery upon them, trials, afflictions, to bring them to the point they want to repent and change and get out of that situation. And so here's Jonah in this situation. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Right? When we fainted, I was terrified. This, this thing came and picked me up. Right? And who knows if he saw the same kinds of the otherworldly the people that Ezekiel had. Remember, Ezekiel talks about them. They have like four faces of different sort of you know creatures that he see them running around, and then they get back on their ship and fly off. Well, well, we don't know what he saw here. That might have even been more terrifying. He says, you know, I fainted based on what I witnessed here. It is whatever this uh, object, fish, whatever it was, whatever I saw in there. You know, I fainted. It was a terrifying experience. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that thou I that what I vowed. Salvation is of Yahweh. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Okay, chapter 3. And um, uh, let's look here. 
It says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, okay, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it in the preaching that I bid thee. And so Jonah rose and went into Nineveh, but it doesn't really say how, maybe like Ezekiel. Ezekiel, remember, it comes <laughs> This identified, uh, unidentified flying object actually picks him up, takes him off, you know, to, you know, that brook where he sat down. He's like, huh, I sat there shocked and astonished for seven days after witnessing that, right? So we don't, we don't know what happened here. Maybe he got a, a ride here from whatever that object was. But arise, go unto Nineveh and preach unto it. So Jonah rose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. Now, Nineveh was exceeding great city of three days' journey. It would take three days to walk there. Now, it doesn't say he walked the three days here. Right? It just says, just trying to tell you how far Nineveh was from where he was in Israel, right? Three days' journey. If you were walk three days, could be faster and different um, you know, through different means. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. How big Nineveh was. He walked the whole day. People uh, can walk, the, you know, on average like 20, 30 miles a day in the desert conditions. So, he walks 30 miles into the city. This uh, Nineveh is so big. And he cried and said, and here we get the greatest, the most powerful sermon in the history of the world. It wasn't John 3.16. <laughs> it wasn't John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? Now, that wasn't it, right? That wasn't it. That, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. John 3, 16, right? Uh, bless all the evangelicals' hearts that like to hold up signs at uh, uh, sports games. But uh, that wasn't it, right? That wasn't the greatest sermon ever preached. Greatest sermon ever preached is, it wasn't also, uh, you know, uh, uh, and uh, so he says here, Here we go. Here's the greatest sermon ever preached in verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Right? Wasn't God loves you? Repent. Come unto God because he loves you. God loves you, right? That's powerful. And it's probably converted some people. Not a whole city. Not the, all the animals and the humans, right? But we're going to see this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight words. This is the shortest sermon ever, right? Shortest sermon ever preached, but powerful because why? He did it with the spirit and the power of God. When he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, they felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Ghost, manifest and bear witness and bear testimony that that indeed was true. That in 40 days, Nineveh would be destroyed, and therefore is why they then repent and sackcloth and ashes, and everybody in the city repents. Powerful lesson about speaking by the power of the Holy Ghost. Powerful sermon here. And how would they have viewed it, right? Now, keep in mind, they're Assyrians, right? They're worshiping their own gods, right? The last thing they want is somebody coming over from Israel saying, well, you know, and, and this is how it would appear to them, right? It was eight words, but this is the way it appeared to them, right? They see this Jewish fellow, 
walking through their city and they say, hey, guys, uh, you know, uh, I know you're here in Assyria and you worship your own gods. You know, I come from Israel over here by the coast. right? I come from Israel. My God, not your God, right? my God, Jehovah says, if you don't repent, he's going to destroy the city in 40 days. Right? That's how it looked to them, right? But once again, it is the power of the Holy Ghost that spoke to their souls and to their hearts that told them that what Jonah was preaching was God's truth. And it cut them to their hearts, and they had a choice to make. They could perish and die in a rebellion against Jonah's God and against Yahweh, or they could have repented. And what do they do? They choose the right course here. They repent, right? So the people in Nineveh, in verse 5, believed God, not their God, God of Israel, and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word even came unto the king, and even the king is repenting and worshiping the God of Israel, not the God of Assyria. And he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger and perish not? We get the JST down in there. We will repent and turn unto God, but he will turn away from us his fierce anger. And God saw their works, that they turned away from their evil way. And God turned away the evil that he had said he would bring upon them, once again, the JST. And he did it not. He spares Nineveh. He spares all of them, right? But Jonah, what does Jonah want, right? Assyria is a major threat. They're going to wipe out Israel at any time. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want them to receive forgiveness. He doesn't want them to be, you know, accepted of God and to be spared. So verse verse 1 of chapter 4, chapter 4 is a great one. Wait till we see this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. He's very angry at God now because God spared the people after they repented and turned unto him. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, is not what this is this not what I said? I already told you, God, that you know that uh, you are a gracious God and merciful, that you're slow to anger and of great kindness, and and that you you know will change and 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 allow the people to be spared. Therefore, now, O Lord, take I beseech thee my life from me. And a lot of these Old Testament prophets, you know, get depressed right, and they always ask God to take their life from them. It's really, is it? Remember, we had that with Elijah, and we had it with some others. Here we get it with Jonah, right? Take my, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live, because you spared Nineveh after they repented. I, you know, I just want to die. I want to be out of here. This is terrible, really terrible what you've done, God. <laughs> then said the Lord, is that a good thing to be angry, Jonah? 
So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. <laughs> so so Jonah's, Jonah goes, sits outside the city, sits on a hill, right? He wants to still see, he's still hoping that God will destroy Nineveh, right? They've repented, they've changed, they changed their hearts. They, they put sackcloth and ashes upon themselves. They fasted, they didn't even allow their animals to eat or drink, right? But he's still hoping, still hoping that God will destroy these Ninevites. He makes a booth and sat under it in the shadow till they might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah. All right away, right? <laughs> Another miracle, right? <laughs> up and covers Jonah to protect it from the sun. <laughs> that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. <laughs> this is great. Huh? But God prepared a word. <laughs> God, God just loves to play around the people, doesn't he? Verse 7, but God prepares a worm when the morning rose the next day to eat this gourd, right? And it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a strong east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and that he fainted. And he wished himself to die again. He wants to just die because now he's suffering in this hot sun. It's 120 degrees over there in the desert. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it, you know, do you think it's, it's okay, Jonah, to be angry? <laughs> yeah, to be angry for the gourd? And he said, yes, yes, it's okay. I, I, you know, I have every right to be angry at this gourd. And then the Lord said, you had pity on the gourd. But you didn't labor. You didn't make that. You didn't plant it. You didn't cause it to grow. He said it came up in a night, and likewise it perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, the great city, where there are more than 60,000 persons who turned unto me? They didn't even know their right hand from their left hand. They hadn't been taught the fullness of the gospel truth. They didn't know what was God's truth. All, you know, all they knew was just basic stuff that they had been taught by their ancestors, which was all false uh, worship. But once they had a chance to fill the Holy Ghost, speak to them, tell them they need to repent and worship Jonah's God, they did it. So that, should I not spare that city for that? It's a great lesson here in the book of Jonah, a lot of Hebrew comedy here. I keep trying to point out where we can, the, the great Hebrew uh, Comedy here is Jonah's a funny story, guys. Okay, now we move on to Micah, mighty prophet of God, is going to once again testify of the apostasy and the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look here, Micah chapter 1, and we'll look first at verse 7. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire and all the idols thereof where I lay desolate for she gathered it of the hire of a harlot and they shall return to the hire of a harlot remember it's good referencing once again to temple prostitution remember that Hosea's wife was a temple prostitute in the temple of Baal uh, men were paying 
uh, money to have sex with Hosea's wife uh, to uh, to excite their god to cause the, the, their god Baal to cause it to rain on the earth and uh, water their crops uh, and so here he's once again condemning them condemning temple prostitution condemning false images false creeds false beliefs the thing that God most hates right is false worship he's condemned it hundreds of times here in the Old Testament he condemns it dozens upon dozens of times in the New Testament he condemns it in the Doctrine and Covenant condemns it in the Book of Mormon in the uh, first vision after nearly 2,000 years we looked at this in previous weeks the silence in heavens for 2,000 years right you after 2,000 years what would the world expect God to say? Well, the world would expect God to say, well, after 2,000 years, break the silence in heaven and say, I just want you all to know after 2,000 years, I love you. That would make people feel good, right, to hear that, that God still loved them, right? <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? How about, oh, uh, after 2,000 years, I just want to let you people know uh, I love you and I forgive you of your sin. Now, that, that would feel good, right, for God to say that he forgives you of your sin. But he didn't do that, did he? What did God do after 2,000 years? The same thing he's done hundreds and hundreds of times in the scriptures, right? Condemn false religion, right? He appeared after 2,000 years. He had appeared this time with the Father, with Heavenly Father. The only time in scripture in which Heavenly Father appears in bodily form, right? You know, they've heard his voice in the... Uh, the baptism of Jesus in the New Testament, which we'll look at. They didn't see him. The only time they've seen the, the prophet that a prophet has seen the Heavenly Father was when he came with Jesus Christ and appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall the word of God be established. Therefore, the thing that was so important that you break the silence in the heavens after 2,000 years, you need two witnesses, right? Therefore, God the Father. And God the Son both came together. The Father says to the prophet Joseph, he says, Behold, my beloved Son, hear him. I am giving consent to him. I am. I approve of his message that he's about to speak to you. Then what does Jesus say? All these churches established on the earth up until the year 1830, they are all wrong. Join none of them. He tells Joseph Smith that two times, right? Not just one time. Tells him two separate times. Then he says, their, their preachers are corrupt. He says, their creeds are an abomination in my eyes. Powerful versus, you know, powerful, powerful message. 2,000 years. That's what he said. Just as he always condemns false religion in the Old Testament. Can always condemns false religion in the New Testament. He always, always will look at it this next year, right, in the New Testament. He's always going after the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, uh, uh, the, the scribes, right, attacking false religion. Jesus knows that false religion damns the soul. It does not exalt the soul. It does not lead one to salvation. It damns the soul. Therefore, there's nothing that Jesus hates more than false religion. That's why he condemns it. He condemns it all the time. Every time opportunity Jesus Christ had to condemn false religion, he did. 
So once again, here he's saying, I'm going to break down these false images, these idols, get rid of the temple prostitution. Uh, I mean, how many times? How many times have you been reading all these? Not, not, and remember, our lessons haven't even, haven't even covered uh, all the chapters in the Old Testament. We're just trying to uh, give a brief overview of the Old Testament this year, right? But if you were to read all the way through all this, how many times does he do this over and over again, condemn the false images and the false idols? You know, in, in today's society, the false creeds of a false heretical apostate Christianity, right? You cannot be saved worshiping a false god. Doesn't matter whether you call it Jesus or not. He has, Jesus said, they say, they say the name, they know the name. They say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But their hearts are far from me as they worshiping a creed, which is an abomination in my eyes. It teaches a false Christ, a false God, not the biblical Jesus Christ, not the biblical God. It's the biblical Jesus and the biblical God that are the only gods who can save you. Therefore, you need to study the Bible to learn God, to learn about God, to know the character of God, what kind of being God is, and how you may worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so chapter 7 here, Micah, verse 7 of Micah chapter 1. We'll move to chapter 2, verse 11. I'm not going to cover everything here today or even half of it, but I would encourage you to read the whole thing. Micah's a, a great book here. We're just going to look at some of these things here. Chapter 2, verse 11. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall be even the prophet of this people. Once again, condemning false religious leaders, right? Here's a, He's using an example of somebody who's, Goes around saying, look, you can drink wine and strong drink, right? In other words, the preachers who pre preach the things that the people want to hear, he's condemning them, right? Uh, but yet the people will choose them to be the prophet. Uh, you know, today we have a powerful uh, uh, a televangelist who, you know, and he probably is somewhat good-hearted. I'd probably give him credit for somewhat being uh, somewhat good-hearted, right? But he doesn't understand the gospel. Uh, you know, he's a, more of a motivational speaker than he is a, a teacher of the things of God. And, you know, how, why, how is he so popular? Because of his messages every week. He basically says the same thing every single week, right? And he just uses different stories from the Bible or different examples to say the same thing. Which is basically that what? God's going to bless you to be the uh, company president. <laughs> and he's going to bless you to have all these you have all these riches and nice houses and all these things. Who doesn't want to hear a message like that? And so he's the most followed televangelist in the world for, for teaching that. They, they call it the prosperity gospel, right? That God's going to bless you to be uh, rich. It doesn't say that anywhere in the uh, scriptures. <laughs> in fact, it pretty much teaches you the opposite, that you'll have trials and afflictions in the, uh, you know, in, in your life, right? And uh, it's not going to all be rosy, uh, rosy life, and you know, no, no trials, no uh, temptations, no persecutions, just a, a great easy walk through life. And that's not that. So, you know, he's preaching his thing now. Whether he's good-hearted or not, God knows his heart, right? But 
you know, they accept him, right? And he's the most popular televangelist, uh, you know, in the world, right? And what does he do? They lie, right? They lie and say, drink wine and strong drink, right? You'll be the company president. You'll be the company president. God wants to bless you. Gonna, you're going to be the company president. You're going to have a big car, a big mansion. You're going to have all these riches. You know, you have dollars and, and money just flowing, uh, you know, out of the sky, landing on you, right? Okay, let's go on now and uh, let's look now in chapter 3. So chapter 3 of Micah, verse 4 through 7, says, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will not hear them. We looked at this, you know, throughout the Old Testament, right, didn't we? God kept threatening them. You know, I keep giving you a, a second chance, third chance, and so forth. But the day is coming in which I have given you all the chances I'm going to give you. Even if you repent, it will be too late. I will not hear you. I will not turn the judgment away from you. That's what he said. He said that. We looked at that, right? So once again here, he's saying his promise once again. You will cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. No, sorry, too late. You had your chance, right? Uh, you know, the parable of the virgins, right? Uh, and we'll look at this uh, uh, next year, right? They they didn't have the oil, right? They didn't have the oil in their lamps, right? Too late. They shut the door of the of the wedding feast, right? They, they're excluded, right? They had a chance. They told them the bridegroom's going to be coming, right? But they ran out of the oil. They, they weren't prepared. Right? They blew their opportunities. The, you know, too late. Too late. So some people falsely believe that it's never too late, that, that somehow God will always forgive them. But that's not the case. And it's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say there's going to be a time in which he will no longer hear you. There will be a time in which he will no longer save you. And I pray that, that you will never uh, get into a situation like that. That's why it's so important as God calls unto you through the power of the spirit that you come unto him now. Now, now is the day of your salvation, is what the Bible says, right? Not today, not tomorrow, next week, a year from now, 10 years down the road. Today is the day of your salvation. You don't want the door closed on you. You don't want to be locked out of the wedding feast. I'm going to leave a, a description in the video, a, 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 in the description of this video, a link for those of you not yet members of God's church and kingdom upon the earth. I want you to click on that link, reach out to the missionaries, and let them help you prepare yourselves to enter the wedding feast, to come unto the church and kingdom of God upon the earth, so he can greatly bless you. Let's continue now. And um, let's see. So, the last one we looked at that he will not hear them, he will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves till their doing. So he's not only going to not hear them, he's going to even hide his face from them. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, right? He hates them, that bite with their teeth and cry, peace. You know, God's going to bless you the mansion. He's going to make you the president of your company. He's going to give you a nice car. And he that, he, he that putteth not into their mouth, God didn't tell them to say that. They even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you, 
that you shall not have a vision, right? Apostasy is coming. Apostasy is coming. I'm going to go through 2,000 years of apostasy from the true Christian faith. There'll be churches claiming to be Christians, claiming to worship Jesus Christ. But no, it's an apostasy. It's night. It's a, there'll be no vision, right? It shall be darkened to you that you shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets. And the day shall be dark over them. We're going to have 2,000 years. God will not speak unto any prophet upon the earth. Anyone claiming to be prophet during those 2,000 years are not a prophet of God. Then shall their, the seers be ashamed and the, diviner, and the diviners confounded. They, no revelation anymore. God for 2,000 years sealed the heavens. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. God will not answer them. Amos said last week, there will be a famine of hearing the true word of God. Okay, so now in verse 11. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us, right? So, you know, exactly what we had in the right before the first vision, right? You had all these uh, people, you know, teaching for hire, trying to earn money by preaching the gospel. And, uh, you know, and, and they say, and they lean upon the Lord. They say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They like to say Jesus, right? But their hearts, according to Jesus Christ, were far from him. And that was the situation we had as the uh, restoration of the gospel was initiated upon the earth. Okay, so here we go, the, uh, the restoration in chapter 4. Now, a lot of you only know this from Isaiah, right? They don't know. A lot of, most people don't know that. Micah also prophesied of that. Again, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word of God be established. So the most powerful prophecies of Scripture, there needs to be another prophet also foretelling and prophesying of the same event. So here we go in chapter 4. A lot of you get this going to sound familiar from Isaiah, right? Chapter 4, verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, literally fulfilled in on day and time at the building of the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, for generations, people have left their families, their homes, their countries to come unto the house of the Lord, to the temple of God, to the God of Jacob to say, let us learn and, and be taught, teach of his ways and we will walk in his past. No other place has that ever happened throughout all the world where people have moved from all over the world to come unto a temple of God, to live, to devote their lives to the Lord through temple worship. Let's look at six through seven. And that day saith the Lord, when the temple is built, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. 
And verse 7, And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. The restoration of the state of Israel, which happened in 1948, right? After the temple had been built in Salt Lake City, right? After the, the temples of the Lord were starting to be built, you know, throughout, you know, they start to be built throughout the world. Now they're throughout the world, but they started the building process, right? Then the state of Israel was rebuilt. God brought back these uh, the Jewish people who had been uh, cast out, right, and uh, and uh, scattered abroad, right? and cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Eleven through thirteen. Now also many nations are gathered against thee in the last days. A lot of these prophets prophesied. Prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, all nations shall be gathered against Jerusalem and against the Jewish nation to fight against it. At that point in time, when it looks like the Jews are going to be all killed off, is when Jesus will come. He'll land on the Mount of Olives. It will separate in half all the Jewish people. It, fear will come upon everybody. They'll shoot down and destroy all the wicked that are fighting against the, his people. And then his, the Jewish people will go up to him and say, Oh, finally, Messiah, you came. We've waited thousands of years for, for you. You finally came. And then they'll say, Wait a minute. What are those marks in your hands? What are those marks in your feet? And he says, These I received in the house of my friends. I am Jesus Christ. I am the one that your fathers lifted up on the cross. I'm the one they killed. And then they will mourn and weep because they their ancestors had, had crucified their own king. And so once again, we're talking about the nations gathered against Jerusalem. He says here, but they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they as counsel. They don't understand the Jewish people are his people, that he's gathering them to Israel. For he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Let's look now at uh, chapter 5 and verse 2. And here's the mighty prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. So remember in the, uh, in the gospel story, which we'll look at uh, in, in January, the wise men from the east see the star, right? They come to Jerusalem. They come to Herod, they ask him, okay, we, we followed the star here because we know that this future king is, you know, was born. We want to worship him and bring him these gifts. And they say, so where is he, right? And so Herod calls his, his religious guys here, his religious scribes, says, well, where's the Messiah to be born? And this is where they pulled this out, right? So they get Micah and they turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, it was not Jerusalem, it was outside of Jerusalem, small little uh, town, yet out of thee shall come, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So they then told the wise man, well, he's born in Bethlehem. So then the wise man left to go to Bethlehem to worship the baby Jesus. 
chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before me the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. So he's calling together the mountains and the hills to bear witness of God's faithfulness to Israel. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? What have I done unto you that you forsook me and worship these false gods? And wherein have I worried, worried thee? Testify against me right now. Here's your chance. Testify. You know, what did I do to you that you forsook me and broke your covenant with me and ran off and worshiped false gods? For I brought you out of Egypt, you know, through the Red Sea and, and killed all the Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's uh, army. And uh, I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam and many other prophets. Uh, verse 8. He has showed the young man what is good. So what is good? Right? What is good? And what does the Lord require of thee? Does it require animal sacrifices and worship and uh, sacrificing your lambs and your cows and cattle and the bullocks and and the pigeons and the, all these things. What is good? And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly. All he really wants is not animal sacrifices, not 10% tithing, not fast offerings. What he wants from you is to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. Look at verse 16. For the statutes of Amri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their castles. So, so you know, you're not doing what I just said in verse 8. You're not doing justly, you're not loving mercy, you're not walking humbly before your God. Instead, you're follow, following wicked kings and following their bad examples, their bad behavior, and doing the same. Therefore, I will make thee a desolation. I'm going to wipe you out, Israel. I'm going to wipe you out, Judah. And the inhabitants thereof a hissing. Therefore, ye shall bear the reproach of my people. Now, chapter 7. And we'll look at verse 7. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Powerful verse. 18 through 20. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. So what a great way to, to end this lesson, to know of the reality of God, that he lives, that he is your father in heaven, that he wants to love you. He wants to uh, uh, show you mercy. He wants to forgive you of your sins and iniquities. 
But you have to come unto him. You have to come unto the true God of the Bible. You have to acknowledge him. You have to exercise faith in him. You need to repent of your sins so that he can forgive you. He can't forgive you unless you humble yourself before him in prayer and ask for forgiveness of your sins. You do that, he's promised to forgive you and to throw him into the sea, as he just said here, right? Then you can reach out to the missionaries of the church and receive baptism by immersion, symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as you come back out of the water. It's not to be a sprinkling on your head by the priest. It's not supposed to be in any other fashion, right? It's a immersion. To be baptized it means to immerse, to go underneath the water, symbolizing the death and burial of Jesus coming out of the water, symbolizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can receive that baptism, the true baptism, the one that God will accept in the heavens and have it count and open up the doors of salvation for you, performed by those who actually hold the priesthood authority of God. All you have to do is reach out to the missionaries through the description of this video. I'll leave a link. Just click on that link. Let the missionaries know you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Exercise faith in him. Repent of your sins. And they will help you on the path to becoming a baptized member, a person of God's covenant with the covenant-making God. They will bless you, pour out his Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit upon you to be your constant guide and companion to help you through the rest of your life on your path back to the Heavenly Father's presence. For those of you fallen into inactivity, drift, drifted away into inactivity from the church, we welcome you with full open arms. You know, the church is still there. The church is always going to still be here, right? You just need to reach out to your Elders Quorum president, Relief Society president, the bishop, missionaries, anybody. Grab their arm and they'll ask them to help you and let them bring you along and come back into full communion with the saints of God. It's a great place to be, but to be in, in communion with the saints of God and to be uh, sharing one another's burdens and to help one another and as you continue to grow in your Christian walk. In closing, once again, we testify that these things are true. This is God's truth. And just to know that, you know, what a wonderful God he is and how he's always there for you and wants to forgive you. What a great concept, right? You know, you don't want to get to the point where you get past that, where he will no longer hear you. That's why you need to make an opportunity now. Today is the day of your salvation. So don't put these things off and say, well, I'll contact the missionaries next week. I'll contact the missionaries Next year, five years, when I get done with my college, when I get done with, you know, this or that, right? You need to reach out to them now. Today is the day of your salvation. Let God bless you. In closing, we, we ask God to bless you. Bless you with peace and joy and happiness in your lives. We ask God to bless you with safe shelter overhead. We ask God to bless you with the basic financial resources you need to carry out his will for your life. To Whether that be the... Uh, you know, uh, get married, to uh, go to college, to, uh, you know, whatever it is, God's plan for you in your life, God will pour out and provide the ways for you. It may not look good at the moment. It may not look like you have the basic monetary 
resources now, but as you humble yourselves before him in prayer, ask him to fulfill his promise to provide for all your all, for all your needs. He will open miracles and open the windows of heaven to get those blessings to you. We pray and testify of him as one of his witnesses. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.